Welcome to Therapist Who Brunch. I'm Dr. Carrie, and I have my PhD in psychology. And I'm Erica, and I'm a clinical social worker. We're here to talk all things therapy and beyond. From candid conversations with other mental health professionals to personal anecdotes, nothing is off limits. So grab a mimosa or coffee and let's dig in. Hey guys, welcome back to Therapist Who Brunch. We're so excited to introduce our next guest today. But before we get started, just a disclaimer as a reminder, this is not a substitute for mental health treatment and we are not your therapists. Also a trigger warning for today's episode, we are going to be talking about some sensitive topics related to gender diversity. So now I am so excited to introduce our guest of the day to be talking about gender diversity. His name is Chris Owen. Chris Owen is a doctoral candidate in clinical child psychology at West Virginia University, which is where we met. He is passionate about improving the lives of children and families by providing evidence-based clinical care and conducting treatment outcome research. He's particularly interested in providing care for children with neurodevelopmental disorders and gender diverse youth. And you can also find him on Instagram at the ASD therapist, which I pressured him into making because he has so much good knowledge that he needs to share with the world. So welcome, Chris. Hello. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. I've been listening to it often, so I feel like I've made it. (laughs) From listener to guest, anything is possible. (laughs) I'm really coming up in the world right now. (laughs) You are, yeah. And so I know Chris because Well, the abbreviated version of the story is he was a research assistant for my advisor during grad school. And so we just became really good friends working together on the same project. We had a lot of fun and spent some good time together in Pittsburgh and Morgantown, West Virginia. Carrie talked me into grad school. (laughs) I did. I actually pressured him into, well, I didn't pressure you, but I did suggest it. So... Um, Chris, can you tell us just a little bit more about who you are and any relevant experience to our topic about gender diverse youth? Of course. Yeah, I am in my third year of my program. So I'm currently a supervised psychologist. I've got my master's degree. So excited about that. Going towards to get my PhD. um, And some prior experience I have with this topic is... uh, range from personal experience to clinical experience working with some gender diverse kiddos, research experience. It's a population of interest for me. I'm really interested in looking at health behaviors and how to improve health outcomes for uh, gender diverse youth, especially mental health outcomes, high rates of depression and anxiety. And I have uh, my bachelor's degree is actually, I have a degree in psychology, a BS and then a BA in gender sexuality and women's studies. I got the, I was one of the first cohort of majors at the University of Pittsburgh for that degree. So that was really exciting. And then I have a minor in social work. Yeah, you had two majors, one minor. I mean, what can't he do is my question. (laughs) Relax. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I'm so excited to pick your brain today because it's so funny. You have a psychology background and a social work background in some ways. So you kind of melds me and carry together a little bit. But I was 
specifically love how you said you did women's studies and gender studies. What was that course like and how did that get you into like your research today? I think it was a really great compliment to sort of the like science training you get with the uh, psychology. Um, I also think social work has a lot of good science training too with statistics. And I think it really balanced me out because we looked a lot at theory. We read a lot of books about just diverse youth, children, and adults, whether it's gender, race, or ethnicity, and getting to see like different experiences of others, sort of really think from a philosophy, theoretical lens. I think that that's a really important aspect that caregivers can take with them is to um, be really open to looking at the diverse experience of others. Because when we open up our worldview to people who are not really like ourselves, we can learn a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, you have so many cool experiences. And I also think being in West Virginia is a unique experience, especially for working with people who are gender diverse, just because that whole state is just really not diverse in general, um, racially, ethnically, gender as well. So I'm sure that you are a huge support to all of those families that are seeking your services. So we're going to just jump into some of the questions that we have for you. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about how you can be an ally to someone who is gender diverse. And I just want to know, like, from your perspective, what does that mean to be an ally? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. Um, I think it can mean a lot of things for a lot of different people. To me, I think it means that it's somebody who just supports LGBTQ individuals or gender diverse youth, um, which can take a lot of different forms. I, I think just talking with my mom the other day, she asked me something like, oh, why do you always try and go to like a gay doctor or a gay hairstylist or small business owner? And it's, I was like, well, it's kind of the similar reason for why you choose to go to female doctors. You, you want to support people that are minoritized or marginalized in community, especially ones that have uh, identity similar to your own. So I think that's one way that people can do it, is just supporting whether it's financially, whether it's uh, business related, whether it's being a listening ear to somebody. But I also think we really need to take on a an active role in challenging for today's podcast prejudice towards the LGBT community. So actively taking a stance against it. I think that's one way you can be a really good ally. Absolutely. I actually love that you just talked about like looking for a hairdresser supporting a business that, you know, is marginalized in the community. I've never heard someone say that, but that you're so right. That's a simple way to support and to be an ally for people. And I love that. But on a larger scale, there's obviously so much prejudice going on in the world, unfortunately. And there's been a lot of laws recently passed and then laws, un I guess, like unpassed or whatever it is, everything going on. So I imagine that when you I guess, have sessions with clients or you work with people that this stuff comes up. How do you even begin to like handle this? Because you're going through it personally, but you're also having to put your professional hat on too. Yeah, that is a really great question. Um, I think from a personal perspective, I think it's important that we all take the time to be gentle with ourselves, give ourselves some time to relax or take a break. I think as a therapist myself, sometimes I feel like we have to have our next appointment next week. And I don't ever take a moment to be like, you know what, we could, we could cancel for this week and we can pick it up again next week. Um, on a broader level, I think that um, 
it's important to support people who are who are going through different things and being open to people who are struggling sometimes, um, even if you don't know what it's about, because there are things happening like like this to a lot of different communities on a daily basis. And sometimes I think we can look only at what's happening, whether it's a late report or it's a um, not following up on an email and not really think about, oh, maybe this person is really internalizing um, that's happening to their community on like a larger societal scale. And I think being gentle to individuals broadly, especially people who are marginalized in the community is really important. I think giving people that sort of kindness is just always going to be paid back to Yeah, I, I think that you brought up so many good things about how it's hard to, you know, handle a lot of these things as a therapist too, if you're personally going through those things, um, because therapists are expected to be on and helping other people when they might be dealing with something similar themselves. And, you know, taking some of that just like extra time, that self-compassion and compassion for others, I think just goes such a long way. I agree. I think it's so important to have that self-care, but it's even more important when we're talking about these large scale issues that are so connected to just trauma and all these experiences and the collective trauma that's happening, especially for the LGBTQ community. I mean, I I give you a lot of credit because it's not easy. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, it's not. And you're doing such awesome work. Um, I'm curious with all of your background and like research you've done, if you know about like how people start to form prejudice against gender diverse individuals and where they start to have those negative beliefs or negative thoughts about people of a certain gender or who are a part of the LGBTQ community. Yeah, I think one of the big things for prejudice against the LGBTQ community is really rooted in sort of this heteronormative society that we have and that oftentimes gender diverse individuals are stigmatized, physically harmed or punished. And then we get these representations and it's shown on a daily life basis in the media. We get these messages from larger belief systems like religion. I think we also get it from the government sometimes too. That's one of the biggest things that really contributes to this prejudice against uh, LGBTQ individuals. And I think that a lot of it is also rooted in lack of contact and exposure to diverse people. Um, And that's one of the research interests of mine is how getting more contact with people of gender diverse uh, groups and interacting with them, becoming friends with them really helps break down some of these negative internalized stigma or prejudice beliefs that we have about these groups. And I think that's one way that we can combat this sort of uh, prejudice against LGBT individuals. And that's to say that it's not, it shouldn't be put all on those individuals because it is a small community. Trans individuals themselves represent less than 1% of the population of the U.S. So asking them to be doing the interactive work and engaging with others is asking for a lot. And so I think getting more representation in the media, having people read stories, getting to know people that are nearby and in your area is one way to really break down those those beliefs. It's almost like fighting an uphill battle. I mean, it's not almost, it definitely is because it's like there's a population that is so small and has so many things stacked against them. Going against these larger systems that 
have been built for so long and it's just like, it's like a lose, lose battle. And it's just so hard, you know, I feel like for those um, members of those groups to be able to make a lot of changes. And so I think a lot of the change does really need to come from like the majority that is in society to actually make some of those changes. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. It's on us to, or when I say us, like Carrie and I, who identify as, you know, straight females, it's on us and the majority to be more welcoming and accepting and to, like you said before, to support businesses owned by people as part of that community or to watch movies with people who are the lead actors in those things. But on a larger scale, it's us, up to us to be at the protest. It's us, for us to be signing bills. And I think that's one of the reasons, Carrie, and I want to really have you on, besides the fact that you're so smart and amazing, is that it's important to amplify these voices. And this is the a platform that we have to do it. So it's just even more, I mean, I'm so thankful for you to be on here. I feel like we're singing your praises, but it's for such great reasons. Oh my God, you guys are incredible. I love being here. <laughs> I want to be here every week. <laughs> we'll have you back. <laughs> it's so true. You can teach us so much about autism too, which I think is a super interesting topic as well and so many other things. Um, but, you know, you work a lot with kids and I know Erica and I do too. And you've told us some about how adults can be allies, but I'm wondering what are some steps that parents can take if they want to help raise kids who can be allies. One of the hardest things for parents, especially with kids that are gender diverse um, or don't have a lot of experience with the LGBTQ community, is that they can often feel really disempowered and even shamed by their own lack of knowledge. And so I think any way that we can support them and validate their experiences and meet them where they're at, I think that's one of the first first steps into really um, helping caregivers make a positive impact on their children, whether they're gender diverse or not. I'm sorry, but that is actually such a great point because I feel like so many adults, they feel this shame about doing anything that they end up doing nothing because they're Mm -hmm. so worried about making the wrong move. And so for you to open that up and say like, you know, it is, you know, taking it into your own hands as a parent at first is really important. Yeah, you have to have the education and the resources before you teach or instill those values in your kids. But I think like when I work with parents in with all issues, it's really how can you learn with your child? It's not necessarily that you have to be teaching them certain things. Maybe you're learning together. Maybe it starts with attending, you know, a seminar about kind of the history of LGBTQ and what people have gone through. And it's, you know, you don't have to have all the answers for your kids, but I think it's about being open and being vulnerable and being, yeah, open to those types of conversations. I love that, the vulnerability of it. I think it's so important. And I think that and not to exclude uh, LGBT in- individuals who do go through really hard uh, experiences growing up and have parents that are really not there to support them or encourage them at all. On the other end things is that a lot of um, LGBTQ individuals have parents that really when they find out that their child is gender diverse or queer in some sort of way, they have to completely shift what they what they were thinking was going to happen for their own child in their own life. And it, they, I think they have to have a period of mourning where they sort of sit with their thoughts and 
accept them. And a lot of it comes out of this, this idea that people choose to be gay so that they feel like they want their child to change their opinion on it or change their gender identity or their queerness and that that will help them be safer in life and that that will help them live a more fulfilled life, which it almost kind of reminds me of anxiety, sort of like how parents with anxiety um, interact with their kiddos and how they really want to just protect them and protect them and protect them. But that's not always necessarily the best choice to take with a kiddo. And it can actually be pretty detrimental when instead it should be accepting and supporting and encouraging growth and, and taking a step back and realizing that a parent is not just there to teach their child, but their child is also someone who can be a teacher for their parent. What I was thinking when you were talking is that there is a period of grief. I mean, you're going through these feelings like your child and your expectations for your child and what you've hoped for them are changing. And that's not necessarily usually not a bad thing. It's just it's different. So it takes some time. And I think I like that you gave parents some grace there to say like, it's okay if right away you're stunned or if you're having a hard time, it's normal, but it's about what you do afterwards. And then you also, you just made so many good points that I feel like are so helpful for parents to kind of normalize their reactions too. You reminded me of the black and white thinking. It's really not like, a. Mm -hmm. this is the end of what my experience is going to, what I thought was going to happen to my child, or they're going to now have a terrible life. It's, I think it's really breaking down that, that black and white thinking, being okay with change is never comfortable. When we go through periods of really great change, it's often not the best experience while we're going through it. Yeah. You really have brought up so many like helpful things that I feel like are like parents or other people who are maybe going through this with another family member, like an adult with their sister or their parents are going to relate to because like normalizing that feeling of change and knowing that that's not the end and that, you know, having those initial feelings, it might be a normal part of the process um, of learning how to be an ally to them and how to help them. There are, there are good ways to react to your child coming out, but there are no perfect ways to. I feel parents sometimes feel like, they, oh, I need to somehow react in the most, like the best way possible. And if I don't, then I'm not being supportive, which I think limits communication because then you're in your head so much, you're thinking about, am I reacting in a, a good way? Is Am I saying the right words? Am I using the right phrases? When the reality is you, the best thing you could do is be there for your kid, support their gender exploration, um, encourage them to be themselves, ask them how you could be, how you can be there for them and what they need from you. It's okay to just say to your child in any really any conversation, but in regards to gender identity, it's okay to see your child. Like I don't have the answers, but I support you and I'll learn with you. You're allowed to say that rather than feel like you need to be in the background and try to look for those right words. Cause I don't have them most of the time when I talk to clients, I don't have them, but it's about them feeling free to discuss whatever they want to discuss to feel safe. And I think that we can all understand that on different scales. So how, I guess, how do we get more people to understand that when it comes to sexual orientation and gender and things like that? Yeah, I think that the best thing that we can do is be open, read more literature that is from a perspective that's not your own, whether it's someone who's Muslim, um, part of the LGBT community growing up um, in the Middle East, uh, 
whether it's going to comedy specials, I think some of the like uh, the ways that people orally talk about their identities or lived experiences are always great ways to learn more about it. So like through the media, by making friends, by joining a support group um, for other parents who are figuring out how to, to best parent their gender diverse youth or reaching out to people online, listening to podcasts. <laughs> like this one yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a little plug there but you know what I love with everything you're saying is you're making it you're making tangible steps and simple steps for people to do we're not asking people to uproot their entire lives or belief systems we're asking people to be open to differences in the world and that's kind of what I feel like we all hope for is that people be more accepting of the differences and like our country in general has a lot of issues right now and has always had a lot of issues but if we're all just a little bit more open towards differences we could make a significant change for a lot of people and a lot of and it would just be a better community honestly overall and from a social psychology perspective I won't go into all of the the boring (laughs) science of it all. But like when we interact and we make friends with people of diverse communities and groups, what we do is we, they, they become part of our network and who we consider and we take in and understand are parts of our own identity, which relates to the fact that you end up breaking down some of these stigmas or stereotypes that you have about different communities. Um, So that's why I'm always like, just, have really diverse friends, interact with more people, people that are different from you and get their take on different things and be open. I feel like that is such an important piece. And it's something that parents can do, you know, with their kids and adults can do as well. Just making sure that you're not hanging out with everybody that has the same beliefs as you, or that is exactly the same because that's not helpful. So switching gears just a little bit, I'm wondering like if you are an adult and you see someone that's not being an ally or if you are a parent and your child is not being an ally, how would you handle that? Assuming that you want your child to react in a way that's more helpful to a gender diverse individual. Asking your kid why they're thinking a certain way, almost like, um, I feel like motivational interviewing sort of techniques, teaching caregivers to do that with their children Um, to really think critically about why they have some of these thoughts or why they interacted with that kid that day and um, or if they were a bystander um, how did that make you feel why why do you think it made you feel weird or why do you think it made you feel bad Um, and think about ways they could go back and um, if this happened again tomorrow sort of like perspective taking thinking about if this happens in the future, what's something I could do to support that other student or stand up for them? Obviously not advocating for other kids to to bully the bullies (laughs) because then an eye for an eye and the whole world goes blind. (laughs) I know parents bring that up a lot, but like, I love how you started off with like being curious about what they are thinking rather than just like going into teaching mode because that's typically not effective Um, and it's probably helpful to do it like alone with a kid not or with a person not in front of a big group of people where they're probably going to react in a different way Um, but being curious about it I think is a great approach to starting that conversation with them yeah and then even um, have like presenting your kid with opportunities or um, 
occasions when they can interact with other groups or go to something. Obviously, don't make it a punishment because that's not going to be really um, rewarding for the child or help them change their perspective on things like, oh, you're being mean to someone, so now you have to hang out with uh, your cousin who is part of the LGBT community. Uh, They're not going to go in it with a mindset that's open to learning. (laughs) That will backfire. (laughs) Yes. And Sam, if you work in a school and you're an administrator, please don't send the students to the social worker to get in trouble, or please don't make people sit at lunch tables together so that they become friends. We can't, we can't force kids to do certain things. I think it's important to just, like we were talking about, be curious, ask questions, facilitate, you know, an apology or a conversation, but we don't need to force people into our way of thinking, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I see that a lot as a social worker. When I worked in a school, you would they would send this kid to the social worker when uh, they were misbehaving. And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's like getting out of trouble. It's not a good thing. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and, be- and because I love children, I'm all about this early intervention. If parents can start from the beginning, mm-hmm. um, whenever people have uh, that I know, like whether they're colleagues or friends, that are having children, which is starting to happen for my age group. Um, ah. <laughs> I always send like feminist, um, like playing cards, like getting out books that are not supporting this binary gender system that we have in society, um, encouraging mixed play groups, and starting that from the beginning, I think is really important, and, and encouraging that the school system do that and that. Um, some of these other institutions that are really important to the formation of education for our kids is is also taking a, a stance for this and supporting gender diversity and um, in this too, because parents can't be responsible for everything. I mean, we also know that as kids get older, their friends group beca- becomes more of a factor in their life and less about their parents, so... <laughs> Yeah, that's such a good point. You, I mean, you really have brought up so many helpful tips, I think, for like people who are just like going through something like this right now, or if it's on their mind about a possibility, like something that they could do. So um, we have two very important questions for you as our final (laughs) questions. So our first one, and I actually want to guess this, is about what your go-to brunch meal and drink is. Can I guess it? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> you probably get it right. Is mimosa the drink? It is. Yes, mimosa <laughs> is the drink. And then is it the soft scramble from the, is it the, what's, is it the local? The vandal. The vandal. <laughs> Shout Wait. out to Joey, the owner. Yes. Wait, what's the <laughs> soft scramble? Oh. oh my gosh, it's like. It's like scrambled <laughs> eggs, but softer, like they don't cook it for as long. And then they put in ricotta cheese. Oh my gosh. Amazing. But yeah, is that really your go-to brunch meal and drink? I mean, I don't know how many fixes I can find the soft scramble <laughs> <laughs> like dish, but I think I've been enough to the meal that it's definitely become my staple. Oh man, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so our other question for you, Chris, is... So obviously we just talked about a pretty big topic today, but we our goal is to just normalize mental health topics just like we would talk to friends over brunch. So what is another mental health topic you think should be talked about over brunch with friends? Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> All the things. <laughs> I'm going to do... Oh, okay, I've got two. 
personal, okay. I think burnout would be a good topic to talk about. <laughs> yes. Um, and then the other one, which is what I'm working on my dissertation um, topic for, is the importance of caregiver child emotional language and talk. And um, as an early intervention technique, I think as therapists, when I work with adolescents, we do a lot of stuff related to understanding emotions and building insight and perspective taking. And I think that teaching caregivers how to do that and how to diversify their validating identification statements, modeling different emotions more and reducing the amount of dismissing emotion statements they have. Like, don't feel mad. Don't cry. Um, is really We're going to have to have you back on there here to discuss that topic. <laughs> I have so much to say, but I won't, <laughs> I won't uh, get into it now, but Thank you so much for being on here. It's been so, so fun. But where can our listeners find you? Plug yourself. Let us know all the stuff. Well, I'm still in grad school, so it's a bit sporadic with the posting. (laughs) So bear with me. But you guys also might understand where the inspiration is coming from. The ASD therapist, the period ASD period therapist on Instagram. <laughs> yes, go follow him. He posts a lot of good content when he's on there. But of course, grad school is hard to post regularly. <laughs> you guys, he's going to be like the next like, I don't know, president or CEO of something crazy cool. So just go follow him and say you've been following him since the beginning. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys are so amazing. I've loved being on this podcast with you. It's my first ever podcast. So that's exciting to Yay. Yay. Yeah. Yes, Chris, you were awesome. It was so informative. You are one of my close friends. So I'm so excited that you're able to join us and give us so much information. And, you know, thank you so much again for coming. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Soft scrambles in Pittsburgh coming at you. They are. (laughs) They are too good. So We will see you guys next week. We will have a fun episode that will be on dating in 2021. So it's a juicy topic. Yes. Bye, guys.